Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a movie podcast and a pop culture adjacent podcast where we talk shit about movies. Oh, big swear out the front gate. Coming in hot. Wow. I'm your host, Brewboss Sean. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chelsea the Regulator. I should be the one saying shit first. Say it. I just did. Okay. And we're very happy to be joined in the shop. It's been a long time coming. We've tried to have him on the show before and it's finally worked out. Uh, we've got Todd. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm finally here. And actually, uh, my attempts to be here date back a couple of years, back when Travis was running things. And for That's what I was reason, referring to. Kept, oh, the olden just days. Just kept not working out. So I'm glad today finally did. Hopefully. Well, well, this episode did its best to not work out. We originally scheduled it uh, back in uh, August, I think it was. And I think Todd had a cold yes. and couldn't go. Yeah. And then uh, Chelsea and I got COVID the week end be- or the week before we the reschedule. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, by the time we all got our shit together, we were into October and doing Hammer Horror Month. And so this is our first non-horror episode. But it is kind of horror. It is horror. Oh yeah, definitely. We're talking about Suspiria, the 1977 release, as well as the 2018 release. So <clears throat> we're gonna jump right into it. Suspiria, 1977, was directed by Dario Argento. You might have heard that name before. Uh, it stars Jessica Harper, Stefania Cassini, Flavio Bucci, Miguel Bosse, Alida Valli, Udo Kier, know that name. Oh, yeah. And uh, Joan Bennett in her final film role. The film is the first of the trilogy that Argento refers to as The Three Mothers, which also comprises Inferno from 1980, as well as The Mother of Tears from 2007. So uh, let's let's get the show rolling. What do we think about Suspiria, 1977? Probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, and the first thing that jumps out at you right at the beginning of the movie is the colors, right? Oh, yeah. You see, we, well, first we see the, um, they're in the airport. They show the, uh, where they're, where she's flying in from New York, et cetera. And then we get immediately this, uh, red color that yeah. becomes the, uh, palette of the movie, I guess. Yeah. She's walking through the airport. That's got, uh, red. And then the flight mm-hmm. attendants are yeah. dressed in and red. It's, I mean, right. obviously in the airport it's muted cause that'd be fucking hard, but mm-hmm. she's wearing all white too. Right. Right. And then, of course, she steps outside into a ridiculous amount of rain. Right. It rains like that all the time. Yeah. Duh, everybody knows that. <laughs> Which, of course, plays into the plot when we get to the, uh, when we get to the um, studio. But uh, it's talking about the color and the style still, though. Argento whips you across the head with that. And for me, I absolutely love that. Um, I love the uh, the style that he establishes, and really what it does is it establishes a world that you're in that is not fully in reality. It's not the world that we know, right? The world no. that we know in isn't ne- these neon colors and, and that sort of thing. And, and to that point, the first time I saw this film, I did not like it, and I uh, remarked on it, I recall that I, I, I've, I've seen 
college theater productions with more realistic sets. And I think that to your point, that is probably intentional. This, these very, uh, geometric shapes and really bizarrely, uh, overscaled, you know, patterns and things on the walls, mm -hmm. uh, very, uh, very unrealistic looking. Right. And, uh, one thing uh, that I thought of, uh, later was with the sets, it was almost kind of like those old silent German expressionistic films, uh, particularly, um, and this is something I didn't notice the first time I saw the film, but you'll notice in certain scenes when, when, um, Susie is walking past doorways and the doors are massive and the uh, doorknobs are way like above her head and stuff. Um, and so it sort of uh, creates this, um, I, I, you know, uh, almost like she's a child walking through, um, this world and interestingly i did read recently that apparently argento originally wanted to cast children in the roles of uh for the for the school and the studio was very much against that which you could certainly understand oh, yeah. not wanting good, to show children call. getting graphically murdered but i think some of those little touches are remnants of that uh but but in any case it it heightens that um that sort of fantastical lack of reality um, people have brought up Alice in Wonderland when talking about this with the secret passages and uh, things like that. But it goes to your point as well about the uh, the sets and the the strangeness of that. And so you say that didn't really uh, appeal to you? When Not you at the time, yeah. but I, I've learned well, my lesson since then. You were fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. So the characters like clearly aren't aware of some of these elements, right? Like Right. Yeah. Okay. Just, just making sure because obviously they're aware of the ridiculous like no. foyer, like yeah, yeah. We're just pounding on the door. It's so no, beautiful. I, I will say oh. this. I will say this though. The dialogue very early on in the film, they they even use the word absurd to describe right. things. So I guess in a sense they are a bit self aware mm -hmm. that they are in absurd situations. But in terms of being in these very. Um, Almost two-dimensional sets. Yeah. No, of course not. They're oblivious to it. This is the environment in which they live. Right. So we have some strange characters right out of the gate. Uh, when she arrives at the school, uh, obviously she's stumbled onto a suicide, seemingly. Yes. Air quotes. Yeah. Mm. And sort of. Yeah. And, and things are pretty chaotic and hectic. And the rain really feeds into that as well. I mean, she's trying to get her fucking ass inside, and you've got all of this other chaos right swirling around the handyman i made a note um looks like eric trump <laughs> oh god now i'm gonna have to go back and look yeah okay i'll make a note of that so, he's and got, he's got quite a pair of chompers which i think they even gave an explanation for in the movie uh -huh. for why he had those uh those teeth but definitely a strange looking guy mm -hmm. so um, yeah there's this strange focus on where she where she will be boarding and and there's a uh, there's a focus on money how much it's going to cost it right. yeah. seemed really weird because it's like they've invited her to this school and then suddenly it's like they seem like they don't want her there as she's like an inconvenience yeah and this is one of those areas i mean the plot in this is let's face it even if you love the movie it's not the tightest in the world and there are a lot of contrivances to just kind of justify certain set pieces or certain things that they want to do i think the money thing is a perfect example of that because as you say initially it seems like they don't want her there and so they make it so that she has to go away and stay in town but then they make it so that she has to come back so 
that was a little yeah it was really weird and, and again i don't really have a good explanation other than the only thing only thing i could use to explain it would be is it is it just feeds into this chaos this right. really bizarre setting and you're meant to feel uncomfortable oh yeah and, mm -hmm. and and to that effect i think it works right Chelsea, I've got a question for you because um, you do have a dance background. I do. Um, as a dance academy, was this place normal? Oh God, oh, no. And <laughs> and I'm in, I'm talking about like their routine and stuff. We know the setting is bizarre, but what about their routine and and their their day to day, uh, the way they practice and things? Is that well? Yeah, I mean, you if you're joining a company like that, you're treating rehearsal time much like the rest of us treat a regular job. Like you're you're doing it all day. However the dancing <laughs> that's what i wanted you to talk Woo! about it was so bad and i'm so pissed off that they put her Susie, in actual fucking point shoes it takes a lot of training just to put those damn things on and it can cause a shit ton of damage and thank god she didn't break anything because she looked like a fucking new little deer being born <laughs> <laughs> In the first Suspiria, too, I wonder, do, I mean, does it even matter that it's in a dance studio? Because this is one thing I noticed between the two different ones is that the dance plays very little part of the plot uh, in the first one. There aren't that many scenes of them dancing, as you say, when we do see it. It's not very good. No. Um, even for someone who knows nothing about it. Uh, and then the second one, of course, it's a huge factor in the plot and very integral i mean mm -hmm. it almost seems like in this Suspiria it could have been you know clarinet school or something like that that's a good point and i think we'll in the second half of the episode we'll touch on that in terms of these broad brush strokes are they they're just there as set pieces to get the point across for the cool graphics and graphic violence yeah i have a i want to come back to that after we've talked about both of them and okay. we contrast them yeah, a little yeah. bit let's do that i made a note uh, of course my notes are, are strictly linear I, I did this as i was watching the films everyone looks like lorraine newman from saturday night live the really uh anorexic skinny one from the original cast okay well you're talking about a dance company in the 70s yeah i'm, I'm just sure that's the, pretty fucking true that's just an observation i had observation i had i'm not saying it was a uh, we've just recently <laughs> got a, a misty copeland who is a normal size body ballerina within the last five years and, uh, so yeah yeah and right. yes redheads can be ballerinas <laughs> we as we've learned <laughs> And we've schooled other podcasts on I'm that. I'm just fucking making the point. <laughs> That's a note for you, Dr. Bob. Yeah. And Dr. Husband. Um, maggots on the ceiling. Oh, Another contrivance, gross. a huge one, because what does it actually mean? Nothing. It's <laughs> it just, just looks cool. To, yeah. It's just a way to get well, them off the second floor and all into the uh, that one room so that they can have the scene where the mother is behind the curtain right and it's and it's uh, accompanied with strangely sped up music which we should note the music for this hang on was... let me get to a different point oh, here never mind go ahead okay so the maggots are stupid and we don't know why but they look cool but like does every building or ballet school have just a room that's filled with barbed wire like is that just a fucking thing that happens yes this is our barbed wire room okay <laughs> i was just making sure i was like that's very strange that's how they punish the dancers for overeating Okay, that, well then that tracks. Yeah, the music is done by the band Goblin. Goblin. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with their other work. Uh, they work Deep with Argento a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, and I think he's maybe a quasi member of the band or was. Um, that tracks. They it's, usually, yeah. It seems like if what's his face Fincher is it Fincher? Is it Fincher can have Trent Reznor? Then Argento should be able to have. Goblin. I got you. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of have your uh, your ride or die. 
Hell yeah. But I think the first one they did with him was Deep Red. And the story was really interesting because he was supposed to work with somebody else on the music with it. And then they like got into a fight and he was like, fuck you. You're not doing this. And I turned to Goblin. And he was like, you have 24 hours. Go. And I'm a huge fan of the score of this movie. Uh, the uh, I think it really heightens the unreality and it's got a fantasy sort of unsettling. vibe to it. Very unsettling. In my mind, probably in that top 10 of... Uh, most uh, distinctive horror um, scores, probably. Um, I, re- I really like it. It was done before the movie was made. He would blast it on the set. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Right? Okay. Um, I-, I-, I made a note about the little boy. Yes, the, uh, the, Albert. The strange, yeah. <laughs> and he's wearing an outfit like he's uh, Lord Fauntleroy or something. Well, that like was that. my that was my um, comment. He has a strange outfit as if he's from another time. And there's no explanation whatsoever. The kid's just there. And then he just kind of factors out of the story completely. I think my interpretation of that is that these witches are of various ages. Albert probably is like, I don't know, I'm guessing like uh, actually from the 19th yeah. century or something yeah. like that and is somehow suspended. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, of course, they give no explanation for this, but, um, you know, they're throwing a bunch of weird characters at us. The woman who, I guess, do we interpret that as his mother? Yeah. Uh, the, the woman that, that's with him or... Spoilers, um, they're all witches. Yeah. Right? Well, here's the thing, and I know you guys are going to touch on it huge. I didn't dive down this rabbit hole nearly as much as you guys did, but you were talking, you were noticing a lot of, um, like, German Ottoman stuff in the... 2018 remake you're still dealing with a post-war italy that feels fucking guilty and that shit exists in the 77 suspiria just not outright Mm -hmm. it's so subtle and i heard a couple of things but i was like fuck i don't want to go down this hole (laughs) um one scene in the film that bothered me the first time i saw it it was just how poorly it was crafted and even on rewatching, it still bothers me the blind man with the dog yeah uh with the when the dog (laughs) attacks him there's so many cuts in the clearing uh, as they're as he's approaching it's just like ridiculously prolonged mm-hmm. and then there's never an explanation of what provoked the attack the only the closest i can come to an explanation i think this is just another one of those set pieces that argento wanted to get in there mm-hmm. um again italian horror is famous for that fulci and others uh they they don't they think more about images rather than plot so much and so for whatever reason he was drawn to this particular one which i find kind of underwhelming um, i do too that was my that was my point is that you know the, this really strange shoehorned kind of scene like the guy didn't really even have to be blind yeah. he didn't you know but then you have this 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 puppet head dog mm-hmm. t- well, attacking we have... him and it was just poorly done it was just like why did you want to put this in if you knew it was not going to be really good so there are two things i can think of one is uh because he attacks albert and it's established from what the blind man says that this is a very gentle dog it's a service dog you know we know that albert and uh his mother are weird which of course we already knew anyway which is why you know did we need that extra thing the animals always know right and so this is what the evidence is the animal knows that uh, or senses this about her why do they have to kill him when he leaves he makes it a point to say I know this is more about than dancing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. He's an imp- he's uh, indicating that he knows what really goes on there. Mm-hmm. And now that he's mad, I guess, you know, 
they've got to get rid of him, but it really is a stretch. I I think that it is kind of a a turning point in the movie, though, because this is when shit starts happening. After this, you know, things do kind of speed up with all the weird, crazy shit that just starts, you know, happening in in terms of the plot. Can we back up just a second? Absolutely. You're referring, you keep saying it's a suicide. Is that just because she ends up hung from a noose? Yeah. Yeah. Because... And this is another thing. Maybe we should talk a little more about that opening scene because yeah. uh, you have um, she looks through a window and then she sees these eyes, and then all of a sudden this hairy arm, like George the Animal Steel, comes popping through, mashes mm. her face against the glass. Kind of a cool scene, and then starts stabbing her. Right? Yeah. So, was the noose supposed to? The, the only reason why I ask this is because it would make sense for the noose at the end to be intended to mm-hmm. give the. Uh, the the witches an excuse to say oh she killed herself yeah, yeah that, that's all. that's what I'm referring yeah. to gotcha yeah. okay yeah. but they but they never say that themselves do they don't I, they don't they refer to a murderer or something I like think that? the uh, I think the detectives kind of don't they like allude to it as I think or, it's more ambiguous and that's why we're having this debate yeah yeah, yeah. I I don't remember them trying to sell because I remember the conversation they were having with the cops and I don't remember them trying to sell them on a suicide although it would have made sense for them to do that though and her interest is like the girls' interest in the dance instructors is not because of this girl that's dead it's where the fuck are they going Mm -hmm. what the fuck are they doing huh that's really strange yeah not this dead girl (laughs) Right. Yeah, and and that's with this movie. That's what if you're someone who wants everything to make sense and to have a nice clean uh, plot, Don't you're gonna us. hate this movie um, <laughs> because that's not the point. And Argento's obviously a, a talented filmmaker, so oh, he knows yeah. this. He's uh, just trying to get a particular style across, a particular feel. Uh, and so these little details that we're talking about that she killed, was she supposed to kill herself and all that? Um, you know, we're supposed to overlook. And frankly. I usually do, same. Uh, unless I'm just trying to nitpick it for a podcast. So. Well, here, yeah, right. Here's the thing with him that's so that's so interesting. I think he knows that he doesn't want to tell um, a narrative like plot heavy story. He wants to give you just enough where you can make inferences that mm. make sense, but he wants it to look and feel a certain way that will help get you there. No, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's uh, it's supposed to be disorienting. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like the the character, the protagonist, they're disoriented. I think we're supposed to join in with that disoriented feel. Back uh, to yeah. the music thing. Yeah. Just talking about that. <clears throat> One thing I love about Argento, and I don't know, maybe other filmmakers do this, but in the horror category, it doesn't happen that often. Normally, as um, like the the kill thing is happening, it's fucking dead silent, and then they hit you with the jump scare, where he just fucking cranks the goddamn volume, and there's like drums banging, and it just adds to this chaos and like makes me feel a certain way. But I'm like, holy shit, that's far more effective than a goddamn jump scare. <laughs> No, actually, that's a great point in that opening scene, too. When you think about that, there's just this pulsing music the whole time. Um, and then when it's that creates done. This, it, and, and rather than trying to, like, lull you out of something, it's trying to make you, uh, I guess, anxiety riddled. Like, we're um, supposed to feel what they're feeling, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, after it's done, the music kind of levels off a little bit. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? Right. Again, back to that disoriented sort mm-hmm. of a feel. It's that definitely uh, plays into it. Yeah, the mu- I mean, I'm a big fan of the the music of uh, of how it's used in this film. 
Um, we, we made a comment early about some of the colors. There's a, a scene that happens um, after the blind man um, scene. And it's like she's falling asleep and the lighting is all green. But there's like this red spotlight outside. And that drives her roommate to like go on the run or something. It's a really cool, cool color comp- composition. Right. And I think the biggest takeaway from somebody who's just casually watching this for the first time beyond just the, the, the sheer strangeness of it is just some of this really cool use of primary and secondary colors. It's just great design work in terms of, of lighting. It's some, some really fun stuff going on there. Well, back to that. I don't know a shit ton about filmmaking because I'm not a filmmaker, but he shot it using a Technicolor camera, even though cameras were far more advanced at this stage, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting. And I I love that look, too, of the old mm-hmm. Technicolor look. And, of course, it wouldn't work for every movie. No. I think it was mm-hmm. a perfect choice for, for this one. It reminds me of um, Anna Biller using the old studio lighting and the colors yeah. in her films. That's, I was you, you thinking those, the same you thing. You really rich reds. And yes. The, it's like you can, today, of course, you can, in digital, you can go, you know, saturation and post. But... There really isn't anything like you know those old those old color techniques no. where you're pulling these rich, rich, vibrant colors. Just, I just came across my note. Who stores that much wire like that? I know, right? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, so our main character becomes obsessed with finding out about the witches. She's directed to a uh, a professor, an expert on witchcraft. And there's a lot of exposition in that scene about witch, yeah. witches, witchcraft. Well, Kerr, I guess, yeah. is a psychiatrist, and he was a psychiatrist of one of, was it Olga? Or that was how she was talking to him. Uh-huh. And then yeah. he's the one that refers her to yeah, the it's, witchcraft it's a, expert. It's, so it's very convoluted. Very convoluted. That... And then even after that's established, there's like this big bit of exposition. And if I had to pick apart one thing about the movie that, that really bothers me is that particular part is just like, come on, get on with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot, but I, you know, I, I guess you need some explanation for all of these crazy happenings. I don't know. That, that's what, I, I guess that's where the balance comes in. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about this with the second one too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the opposite problem, not enough exposition, sure. but we'll, you know, yeah, but, but yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, that was probably overdone, although I don't know what to what degree, because I do feel like we need some mm-hmm. backstory, but maybe there was a better way to do it. So she discovers the witches eventually. I guess, you know, spoilers. She burns the whole thing down. Yeah. And I'm I'm I didn't catch it the first time, but on rewatching it I said, What about her classmates? <laughs> so uh she's a murderer. <laughs> I actually paid attention to the they they all had gone to the Bolshoi uh, what do you call it? The Bolshoi ballet or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, I'm, okay. I'm pronouncing it wrong. See, I missed that but, detail. Yeah. I I, I I picked up on it this time. So there this is another one of those uh, contrivances that they have to throw in, like, oh, they're she's gonna burn up her classmates. Um but yeah, there's something some little throwaway line in there about okay. them being gone for that there you go um so that's that's how they they get away with it i guess but 
Um, but yeah, she so she burns it down, uh, similar to the end of a Ste- you know just about any number of Stephen King uh, horror yeah things. Just torch it, right? Let's just, just let's just burn it just down. Wrap it up. Um, and that's kind of the way the f- the film does. I mean, it's just like eh, it's just burn it. I I love that scene though. Just the look. Oh of it. yeah. I mean, even if it doesn't make a ton of sense, but she finally remembers what uh, she saw the girl saying. Uh, and which that's another reason why it has to be gushing rain because she's 10 feet away from her in that opening scene and she can't hear what she's saying. And so we keep coming back to that. Um, And then she finally figures it out about the uh, flower Mm -hmm. that's on the wall. You turn it and it opens this little door, another Alice in Wonderland uh, touch with that. And then of course you get the, the, the witch, you know, reanimates the dead body of her razored friend um, oh, poor Sarah. Which I liked that a lot. Um, it didn't... The kill of the witch didn't make a ton of sense to me. The witch made herself invisible, right? But then yeah. then she can suddenly see see her. Why didn't the witch just get up and walk across the room? I, I don't know. Uh, could, could she not? Was yeah. she well, more, head, more head scratcher kind of things yeah. where it's just like um, you just got to go along with the ride. Exactly. Well, exactly. So you can't think too much about it. But. Well, and when you're talking about witches, like traditionally old ugly ones have means to not be old and ugly. And I... That part really confused me, too, because I was like, well, this isn't typically how these are presented. And that's in both movies. The second one, though, does a better job of offering, like, an explanation for that. But still, it it doesn't seem like it should be that fucking hard. Well, I think it's a good time for us to jump on to the second one. Okay, Um, thank God, because I have many things I want to say, but it's a comparison. Yeah, so we got 2018 Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Uh, starring Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton in a dual role, Mia Goth, Elena Fokina, Chloe Grace Moretz, um, Angela Winkler, Ingrid Caven, Sylvie Testud, Renee, oh God, Sutendilk, Christine Laboot, um, and uh, Jessica Harper, of course, makes a surprise cameo in the film. Oh, one thing I forgot to say about the 77 one, she didn't have to audition. To get her role. No, she. They'd already. I guess they'd already taken care of that or something. What? The audition off off camera. <laughs> Oddly, though, I think that actually is one thing that strangely makes more sense in the first one than the second one is that you know you wouldn't fly all the way to Europe unless you were already had already somehow secured a yeah. spot, right? Yeah. My in- inference is that they already knew about her somehow. No, or she no, had no. A reputation. Her agent. Her agent called Argento. She had. I don't oh, know you're if it was in real life. Oh, oh, yeah, in real yeah. life. I'm talking about the oh, film. No, no, no. Okay, sorry, sorry. I thought no. you were talking about the. She, she didn't have to audition. She like talked to him on the phone, and she's like, he spoke a t- shit ton of Italian. I don't fucking understand anything. And then I had the part. I was like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> Good for you. Well, th- this goes back to the fact they don't really care about acting mm-hmm. in well, Italian yes. cinema of this era. Um, I didn't think she did a terrible job. I didn't uh, either. But. You know, Minus all the, the dubbing and stuff. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention, sorry about 77 to go back to that one. There was like a whole romantic angle that they just dropped. Remember that with the good looking uh, guy? Yeah. That, and they were setting up that they were going to, you know, he does this weird little wave to her. Yeah. When they're all in the. Uh, and then what, they just abandoned the shit yeah, out of that. And then he's just out of the movie. Bye. Anyway, I just Bye. thought that was it. <laughs> I wondered if they had planned to do more with that and they just, you know. 
for whatever reason oh, dropped. I, I don't know. That was the and this. It's I found this interesting because I didn't pay attention to the credits the first time I watched it, but it's co-written by Dario and his wife Daria. La 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 la. No no no. Dario and Daria. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. When I found that out, I was like laughing for a good 15 minutes. Um, all right, so back to the 18 version. No, no, Sorry. no. This was in the works from 2008. I think uh, it was presented as being this is not a sequel. They're just going to do our own thing and use the original as kind of a, a jumping off point. Tom York, of course, did the soundtrack for this, based mm-hmm. it on Krautrock. Yeah, which that was a we, we did a little a primer on that uh, before the show. Uh, think Kraftwerk, Tour de France. And some other cool ones that sound just like Radiohead. It's kind of weird. Yeah. We open this time instead of a disturbed student at the shrink's office, and she's just flinging accusations of witchcraft. So right out of the gate, you know, instead of this, the, the the strange killing, you've got this uh, girl who's obviously not well. There is more of a focus on dance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more women present in this film. Uh, suspicious lack of men. And even the men that are in this film are kind of presented as fools, or or they're not men at all. If in terms of uh, yes. who who the, well, the uh, actors playing them. In one interview I saw with Luca, because I'm not going to try to say his last name at all, he said that the theme of the movie was about outcasts and specifically a female outcast, and that's kind of the narrative he was trying to paint. Yeah, Mia Goth for me really sh- shined brightly in this film. Oh yeah, I she was great. Yeah, she, yeah, she was definitely uh, probably the highlight for me as far from an acting perspective. Well, because the main person didn't act at all. <laughs> uh, oh shit, were you recording? <laughs> <laughs> that scene where um, Dakota has to do her dance at the beginning, and she's unwitting, unwittingly hurting Olga in the other room. Oh my through god! That dance. Well, oh my. I was thinking of like a, she was like a human voodoo doll. Yes. That's what I thought uh, about that, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, in terms of an inventive sort of kill scene, well, that that speaks to the to the uh, practice of sympathetic magic, and so we're really really diving into like more realistic portrayals of witchcraft, at least in some regards. It gets a little freaky and wild out and off the rails towards the end, but uh, there is a a nod to more grounded in quote unquote reality uh, witch practices that wasn't yeah. done by cgi either that scene yeah i noticed that too and i was like holy shit that girl is special yeah <laughs> well it's like obviously i can't say the word prosthetics mm-hmm. and um green screen suit with her other limbs that they took out mm-hmm. well you know we get that early reveal that we they confirm the, the witchcraft and the rituals i mean it's pretty much established right out of the gate that this is Right, right, nothing is hidden from yeah. the audience. Right. No. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, that the uh, the, the film itself seems to take... Uh, um, it doesn't really seem to judge them, mm-hmm. the witches, uh, for the most part. They're not evil, villainous people for the most part. I mean, I guess you could argue, you know, the, the scene uh, when they put the hooks in the girl and drag Olga, I guess, and drag her off. But for the most part, they're just uh, shown in situations talking about their witchcraft in very practical ways and um in some ways empathetic ways towards uh i I think that 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 it plays into and this is another theme for this movie that's independent of the uh original suspiria is this uh and it took me a second viewing to really catch on to it the 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 german autumn 
and understanding what kind of background they were they were painting this in and i had to look up the uh that weird uh, uh, hostage situation to understand what the time period was and, and exactly. And it's 77, just kind of making this commentary about how, um, how the, 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 this, this coven of witches are trying to keep their, their, their tradition alive and together amidst this kind of politically turbulent backdrop of uh, post world war two Germany as well as uh, uh, you know, crossing over into just you know, only you know, ten, twelve years from you know the fall of the Berlin Wall. I mean, so we're it's an interesting time that that they're placing it in, and they they kind of give us that background information to make those uh, discoveries for ourselves. If you're not you know, like me, I wasn't familiar with it. I had to look it up. So uh, kind of like little Easter eggs for you to discover if you're not familiar. Yeah, and they have no sympathy on the viewer from that angle in terms of like giving you context about that. Uh, everything that we find out about the uh, German autumn is in the background on TV shows and things, and you might not completely be able to hear it unless you've got subtitles on um, and things of that nature. And so it did require for my end a little bit of research as well. And, uh, and that did enrich my second viewing because I didn't know any of that the first time. Um, and it definitely helped to explain some of the narr- what, what the narrative is kind of going for there. I thought it was interesting that Dakota Johnson's character came from a Mennonite background. Yes. Right. I was just about to... It was an interesting choice. I don't know if they were making a commentary about Mennonites. Yeah, that was very... I, don't, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get that impression. But just in terms of the, the, these witches who are doing ancient practices going after a student whose religion I think that most people would consider to be a little uh, antiquated I guess and I don't mean that in an insulting way for, for anybody who's Mennonite just uh, uh, more uh, um, just old old timey well I mean, you here's, know? here's the thing do you know do you know what Mennonites are have you been around them yeah, yeah I grew up with uh, with one of my one of my good friends uh, a year ahead of me in high school was was Mennonite well and they speak German yeah they're very very German I think he used it because she has this bizarre connection to Germany. And I think it helps the audience kind of believe it a little bit more. Yeah. And I think another thing too is the outsider element because she becomes an outsider in the Mennonite community. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, she's essentially, I don't know if she's kicked out or her mother's on her deathbed later in the movie talking about, and I wrote down the quote uh, that she says, she's my last sin. She's what I smeared on the world. So that sort of, you know, so going back to what Chelsea said earlier about the, uh, the outsider uh, element, um, I think she's an outsider. Uh, why she may have been appealing to um, the witches uh, and why she may have found them appealing, because mm-hmm. as we find out towards the end, she kind of has to accept them in order for their plans to come to fruition. We have a scene of the uh, witches fucking around with the cops. <laughs> and that is observed by uh, Dakota and I think Mia in that scene. They're, they're watching from bet- between the books and they're using their, their witches powers to make the, the men make fools of themselves. Right. And I thought that was an interesting choice because it really, uh, it really puts a point on the, the feminist aspect of this film. Uh, the men who are in this movie play either a minor role or they're, I mean, they're stooges, they're tools, they're puppets. 
and I thought that was a really neat scene. Shortly afterwards, you're you're introduced to the scene where where uh, Blanc is coaching Dakota on this dance that she's doing, and she wants her to jump and jump ever higher jump and Dakota's disagreeing with her saying, no, I'm feeling grounded. I think the music is calling for me to be grounded. And of course we all know, you know that the reason she's feeling the being grounded is because Marcos is pulling her, you know, Marcos is deep in the depths and the bowels and you know, pulling her down. I thought that was a really neat uh, illustration of this unknown unbeknownst to Dakota, you know, she's kind of being pulled in directions here at this point in the film and right because there's a feud that is revealed slowly between Mm -hmm. uh the two witches and we see early in the film the vote about who which witch is going to kind of uh lead the coven between a marcos and blanc and interesting you know for most of the movie everyone acts kind of fine about it but that's one scene i think where we start seeing it um play out and yeah i think that that's uh that that was a really cool scene um we should mention, you know, we we did at the top of the of the section Tilda Swinton playing Doctor Kemperer as well. Interesting character, uh, trying to find what happened to his wife during World War Two. I'm not sure. I mean, was it? Do you think that was an effective character? I mean, the the the, the subplot there, bringing that in. I don't understand it. That's one thing where I'm like, that doctor and. Chloe Grace Moretz, why the fuck are you in this movie? You don't need to be. Jesus, go away. Is it dead weight? I mean, yes. I'm, I'm having a hard time. That's one area where I also kind of have a hard time connecting the doctor's narrative with the rest of the themes yeah. in the movie. I kind of think um, that there's something that just didn't quite land because. Yeah, I'm sure there was an intent there that I'm, that didn't come across though. I mean, other than Tilda playing a, a male role with age makeup. And why I mean, did she need to do that? So I don't mind that at all. Yeah. And in fact, as we discussed uh, beforehand, I had no idea the yeah. first time I watched it that that was the case. So she did a terrific job, but why? Yeah. Remove, what? remove his plot from the story completely. And I think you've got a fine movie. I don't think it really matters. The only thing that's fun about that is as they were doing promotion for it, she's not credited in the credits with that part. Yeah. And she like the running gag. So they'll ask her questions like, what was, why did you want to play both parts? So they made up this like typed message from the actual actor or like, the fictitious actor and he's like i'll never start in a movie again this was fun blah 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 blah. tilda reads it and reporters will keep asking her about it, and she's like i have no idea what you're talking about if you look at the credits and you just listen to the fucking statement i just read it's not me but it's it's, it's really <laughs> cheeky it's really funny it's cute but yeah I'm, I'm having a hard time and such importance is put on that i have to assume that the the, the director had something in mind yeah, to connect just, those together but it just eludes me yeah. i wasn't feeling um, it um yeah one of the cool things I thought about it, they had the map of the coven that was on the journal. Later on in this movie, you know, we start getting into the really serious shit with the witches. That same pattern's repeated on the floor, and we're getting into that scene of uh, craziness with the witches. Obviously, you've got this almost orgiastic kind of scene with these naked women and their they're doing their worship of Marcos, I guess, you know, the yeah. vote. And Marcos is weird looking. Marcos looks like 
She's stitched together from multiple bodies. So got that weird little. And then baby. that entity I, comes I, out of the ground. Yeah, was yeah. that Satan? Was that that's or was that the Tilda Swinton or um, was that a uh, Blanc? Uh, you know, taking over that creature, or because by then she's been, or is killed. that, or is that Suspiriorum that Dakota embodies at the end of the film? Right. Um, so I heard a really great reference to what Marcos looks like. Do you remember in the '90s when they had those anti-marijuana ads, and there was like a girl deflated on the couch? Yes. It was like, "This is your friend on pot." She's like, "Oh my That's god." That's what she looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was perfect. It's really a bizarre and unnerving makeup. Uh, yeah. I, that Cronenberg-esque. Yeah, that, that little baby arm sticking out of her left. Oh arm God, just no! Strange. Why uh, does she look like that though, and some of the other witches don't? This is one well, this thing. this that back to my point, like. Witches aren't, they don't want to be ugly. Well, right. And that's why she's trying to take in part why she's going to take over. So that's what I'm curious about. Is she just way older than everyone else? But if she's that much older and that much more powerful, why can they look like that? And she can't. And some of that's not making sense. I got the impression that there was, there must've been some sort of power struggle beforehand where, um, where Tilda was in power and Marcos was kind of like, well, you're going to get shoved into the closet. And that might just be her true form after years and years. And this, then you have this power struggle. And now Marcos is going to take over. And Tilda's destined to become old, weathered, and whatever. That's kind of what I was taking from it. Uh, maybe it's just it, she was just waiting for her opportunity. To... Maybe that's why they're doing the book. Because they don't really get into the politics of why they're having this vote. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it could be a case where, you know, Blanc is like the young, f- fresh person who's supposed to take over for Marcos in the eyes of some. Yep. I don't I don't I guess that's one way you could look at it. Um and of course then you've got this moment of uh Dakota kind of flipping the script entirely. Um uh, everybody expects her to do one thing and she just kind of does her own thing and she comes forward at the end of the film as Suspiriorum. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about the so the the question of the identity of the mother Suspiriorum was the witch lying about being Mother Suspiriorum or, or is it just one of those things like it's this mythical thing that someone's going to be at some point and she just thought she was that but she wasn't. That's what that's the impression I got is that you have these pretenders to the throne kind of thing and it just so happened that Dakota really was like a messiah type well, of thing. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where every, you've got all these people who pretend to it and mislead people and grandstand and what have you and then you've got this person who just very meekly, quietly kind of just says no it's it's me and and then boom right she's in charge it makes sense which of course is different from the first one where there was no question about who the and i'm jumping ahead here but uh, there was no question about who the uh the mother was right yeah um but that adds political intrigue and stuff to the movie that I guess sort of juxtaposes the political intrigue that's actually going on Mm -hmm. uh, surrounding the the movie with the german ottoman all that stuff so all right so we've kind of covered everything in detail we're going to take a break we're going to go to intermission when we come back we're going to pass judgment on these films and then we're going to talk a little bit about some giallo elements in each one sound good Mm-hmm. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some witch's brew. <laughs> and new ballet shoes. Fair enough. 
back from intermission. I had to pee in the yard. I did not. And uh, Todd chose to hold it. Yeah. Not, oh. not me. He just held it's his. It's a bolt. That's a fucking bolt. Yeah, move. I like to add a little bit of anxiety to my performances. Uh, <laughs> That's good. You know. Keep you on your toes. So, yeah. By the way, we've been, uh, Chelsea's been drinking her usual cocktail. Uh, but uh, today, uh, Todd and I are enjoying a beer from New Anthem Brewing in Wilmington. It's called Dancing on My Own. I thought it was kind of appropriate for Suspiria. Yeah. So uh, it's a double IPA, and it's it's pretty tasty. And thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, sure, it's, it's man. It's quite good. Yeah. I'll bring uh, bring some next time. I figure first time on the show, you yeah. deserve a little splash. But next time, for sure. It's on you. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about the head-to-head. Let's talk about what we liked and didn't like about each one. Let's talk about uh, clear-cut winners, clear-cut losers, if there are any. And uh, what, what are your final takeaways for both of these movies? And anything that we left on the cutting room floor from the first uh, segment? Well, the, the first one, as I said uh, from the opening, is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. So uh, it was going to be a tough act for the second one to ever replace it in my heart. I did not like the first one uh, the initial time that I saw it a couple years back, uh, mainly because um, I just thought the plot was just too busy. I wasn't sure what was going on a lot of the time because with the autumn or the uh, German autumn mm-hmm. elements, um, there were a lot of other kind of subplots going on with it that I, you know, wasn't quite picking up on. Second time, I did like I did like it much better once I had more context, once I'd done a little bit of research into the German Autumn. That certainly helped. But I would also say that's kind of a flaw if your uh, re- or viewers have to do a lot of homework uh, in order to uh, appreciate the movie. I did think it was on the long side. Um, the whole element of the uh, of the doc doctor, as great as Tilda Swinton was playing that character, it just I don't know what it was supposed to add to the witch narrative. Um, I'm sure the filmmakers had something in mind, but it just didn't connect with me either time I watched it. Uh, and then the first one, uh, I think, has a better sense of what kind of movie it wants to be, has a more assured director. He's not, you know, I mean, if you're someone that, like, likes a uh, a more clear-cut narrative, you're probably going to prefer the second one. But that's not what Jar- Dario Argento typically goes for. Uh, and he knows that, and he doesn't try to, to be anything he's not. And in that movie, uh, he uh, does a, an amazing job of what he wants to do, which is establish... A terrific and unique style with what we talked about with the colors and the lighting uh, with the uh, music uh, with the fairy tale sort of feel to it and really like a fairy tale because most fairy tales are pretty grim right and, yeah. and kind of frightening and that's kind of what what it did uh, the the weird sets uh, the weird characters that you don't really get an explanation for but that's almost kind of creepier that you don't um, and so for me uh, that one is just the champion uh, if we're going to uh, compare the two. Um, I friggin' agree. The first one's better. <clears throat> and I would just be repeating Todd. But the one thing about the second one that I loved that I thought did better than the first. So there's not like, it's not a straight remake, obviously. Um, it's kind of like a distorted, fucked up reflection of the first one. But Miss Tanner and Madame Blanc obviously are based on the same thing. Right. And Madame Blanc was fucking superior. I fucking loved her. 
there was she wasn't just yelling at these girls like she wasn't just this like typical hard ass instructor there was a, a softness and a gentleness and um she approached the character who is based on a, a real person um her name's like Pina Bausch I think she's a modern dance instructor she approached the character as if it were a tree made sense in the way she dressed and her design but like the the, that's kind of stuck with me because the i want to go back and watch it now with that sort of in mind just the way she broaches this character and i'm wondering where her roots are does it it, are the roots in her coven are the roots in dance where where is that stemming from and i'm wondering if there was some sort of subtle clue with that okay but i found that really interesting Certainly characterization and acting is much better in the second one, which if you give a shit about it. I mean, that, minus but. the lead, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I appreciate the uh, superior dancing in the second one. Oh, of course. I appreciate the more authentic feeling uh, witchcraft in the second one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved Mia Goth's performance in a supporting role. I thought she was exceptional. And I, I thought that uh, Tilda Swinton was, was very good. To Todd's point, I think there was some excessive baggage that could have been trimmed. And everyone who listens to me talk about movies, I believe in editing. And I believe that a lighter weight movie tends to go a lot further. So I, I, to that end, I, I think the movie suffers. Um, I did enjoy uh, Tom York's soundtrack. Oh, same. Oh, yeah. Um, it was great. Ch- Chelsea has it on vinyl. It's it's beautiful. Those are the things that I, that I enjoyed about the film. Uh, the baggage, I think, detracts from it. The Argento version, um, it took more of an appreciation of Argento for me to enjoy the movie in retrospect. I didn't like it the first time. I thought it was silly i thought the sets were terrible i thought it was just ridiculous and over the top but i think that um now you know with 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 context um it actually was all of those things that you just said it is and and, and that's intentional and i understand now the the beauty of establishing some of these outrageous set pieces and some of these bizarre chaotic scenes for the sake of being bizarre and chaotic yes i'm wondering if your newfound appreciation for old suspiria has come from your love of anna biller no it's not well Um, then i'm shocked that the first time you watched it you hated it and you can show me something like the love witch and go this is amazing and not see those same fucking things happening well i I agree with you on that point in terms of anna biller's work some of the stuff that she does is not the best but Mm -mm. but i do i do like that 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 calling back to to an older time of filmmaking no what i'm referring specifically to is you know some of the other argento movies i've seen where he's setting up some of these equally outrageous scenes just for the sake of, I want to show you this thing, check this cool thing out that I made. And it, it's kind of, it's like, it, it, it sucks that you have to be initiated into this level one character uh, uh, in terms of participation. You can't be, you know, entry level and, and say, Oh, I get it. It's totally cool with me. I don't know if anybody watching Suspiria for the first time, completely cold, devoid of any context would enjoy it. I did. Okay. 
I mean, I think, I think though it depends. You've proven on when, me wrong, Chelsea. <laughs> I think it depends on when you come to it, though. Um, I was already a big horror movie fan the first time I watched mm. it, and this was back, of course, in the era when you had to rent movies to see them. So I was aware of Suspiria, had been aware of it for a long time, but I just couldn't get my hands on it. Uh-huh. Um, and so by the time I got to it, I was already sort of immersed in that sort of thing. But if you're not. I agree, you know, you might be a little bit... Like, if I'd seen that, for instance, when I was, like, 18, 19, before I really got into uh, the horror genre, you know, probably would have been like, you know, what the hell is this? Uh, which is how I felt the first time I saw uh, something like uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. Um, or uh, Clockwork Orange as well. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, just kind of weird and, mm -hmm. like, what the hell's going on? I was too young. Or not, not just too young, but I just hadn't seen enough movies that were kind of doing that sort of thing, you know? So, for know. me, like, I, I, the first time I saw it, I can't deny that the, the colors and all of that stuff was super over the top. But it was the way that movie made me feel in those intense moments. And that's just a rarity. And that's cool. I mean, that's that's an awesome takeaway that you experienced that I think for me, I, it was lost on me the first time I could out was, of curiosity. When did you see it for the first time? Uh, we did it with a, uh, a Jalo episode ages ago. It was, uh, so when I so was in the was, era of, it was yeah. within the context of this show. Oh, and that's wow. why I'm surprised. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I just was like, this is stupid. So our viewers could dig that episode up and uh, make fun of you for... Yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm going <laughs> to use it against you forever. That's fine. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of it um, because you know, now I can watch it and say, you know, this, there's some really cool things that Argento is setting in motion. But that said, the acting, substandard. Um, no, there are definitely, oh. there are definitely a lot of yeah. things that you could yeah. rip for this movie. So, so for me, you know, what, which one do I like better? Um, I think I'll always gravitate towards, towards the original, uh, just because it is so bizarre. It's so outrageous. And for its time, and this is kind of segueing into what we're going to talk about next for its time, it was kind of a standalone feature. Uh, there weren't a lot of Italian supernatural horror movies like this being made at the time we were coming off of italian cop dramas which giallo were, was big that argento was a big part of yeah yeah too. but but even then argento had said i'm done with giallo i'm not making another giallo film he lied but yeah well yeah exactly but he had he had kind of said i've done it i've made i've made the great uh, giallo film and, and, and another one that's pretty good too uh, I'm done and so he had kind of said I'm I'm gonna make this you know supernatural horror film in a in a uh, landscape where Italy was and and this isn't meant as an insult but Italy would always react to what was happening in American film and you know that's why you've got that long string of uh, of Italian uh, westerns and Italian cop dramas. They were kind of feeding off of this American uh, uh, trend in film. And so it kind of stands heads, head and shoulders above what else was happening at the time. Yeah. Or even in any cinema. I mean, it's uh, if you think about 
what was going on in American cinema. I mean, The Exorcist was big around this mm-hmm. time, and some of those sort of religious. Uh, Amityville you know, Horror was Amityville a Horror. contemporary of this movie. This, yeah, and so this is kind of outside the realm of anything that was going on, which is kind of interesting. To, I mean, I can't think of anything to compare it to. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but uh, it's a very unique, just like this horror fairy tale mm-hmm. uh, type uh, movie. So, um, so, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much. So we, we, we did, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we brought this film up in our Giallo episode. And I don't want to get too terribly deep into Giallo itself, but the film, of course, has Giallo elements because it has this and we're speaking about the original of course it's got argento's thumbprint on it is it is it a proper giallo film what is it about it that is giallo or is not uh definitely not um i actually had a discussion with this last night in preparation for this with a friend of the podcast joey pool uh-oh uh, and he immediately <laughs> when i told him that that was one of the things we were going to discuss he said no it's not a giallo but uh and i don't think it is because really if you look at what giallo is um so it's really a melding of several different genres right you have the crime genre thriller or the crime slash thriller however you want to think of that the slasher uh, is a part of it. Um, psychological horror oftentimes plays in it. Sexploitation. Uh, and so those genres are kind of melded together into one uh, unique sort of thing. So it's like, you know, uh, you know Hitchcock, if it was, uh, I don't know, directed by John Carpenter or something like that. Although Hitchcock did do a movie that you could argue was Jalo uh, in the early 70s called A Frenzy, which is great, but I digress. Uh, but in any, in, <laughs> in any case, um, yeah, so you usually have like a serial killer who, it's a whodunit, right? You have a serial killer. They're usually, they, they're, they're shown wearing gloves, and that's all you see of them uh, are these gloved hands uh, oftentimes. Um Usually, uh, they commit a murder that is witnessed by a bystander. Uh, you, uh, so, uh, for example, uh, in uh, Tenebre, I think is how you pronounce it, that we've all... I, I think say Tenebre. Tenebre. I Tenebre. Tenebre. Yeah. Tenebre. So, I mean, you have this guy who writes horror novels, um, and then there's a copycat killer that pops up, and as people are wont to do, that he, uh, you know, the bystander starts investigating uh, the crime uh, himself. In, in, in others, you know, a lot of times, like a, an Argento one, the uh, the bird with a crystal plumage. Um, this guy's just walking down the uh, uh, walking down a sidewalk, and he witnesses a murder happening in an all glass uh, museum. Which is and he a beautiful ju- murder, by the yeah. way. Oh, oh it is. That's one of my uh, that that's one of my favorite Jalo uh, films. But um, but anyway, this bystander just decides to start when the cops flub it, start you know participating in the investigation. Uh, when a female, though, so there are really two types of giallo. You have the male-centered one, uh, which is what I just described, and then you have the female-centered one, where it's a woman protagonist who whose sanity is in question. Um, yes, a perfect example. Um, and usually there's something about her sexuality that's at play here, whether it's her sexual awakening or she's being threatened sexually somehow. Um, but the sexuality tends to play a, a, a factor in that. 
um, which goes back to the sexploitation angle that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so anyway, to get back to, I'm kind of digressing here, mm-hmm. talking about what a giallo uh, is, but most of these things that I just mentioned aren't really present in either of these films, would you say? or maybe Chelsea, I'm... what do you think? Oh, God. I, I think you can make an argument that original Suspiria can fall into that category for sure. Um, outside of just like the stylized look of it at the core, it's not so much, it it is sort of a whodunit, but it's like, where are they? So there's Mm -hmm. that element. Right. And the bystander thing is definitely, it is right out the gate. And then the other thing, when you're talking about the female centric one, they question her sanity. They're purposefully drugging her. Right. Right. Those, uh, her diet, uh, that she gets put on, yeah. uh, which we didn't touch on, but yeah. So they're like manually manipulating this. And then the other thing, like another thing, they, a character suddenly remembers something right at the end of the movie that fucking helps everything again, mm-hmm. very much present in old Suspiria. Okay. Um, That's a yeah, good point. Yeah. That is true. True. That is true. I think I think there's a case to be made for sure that it could fall into that category, but I do I do understand both sides of this argument. Mm-hmm. I can see it from both points of view. Well, one sure. thing I didn't mention as I was describing Jalo is the stylized nature of it, which certainly Suspiria has. Um, yeah, for sure. So so yeah, I can see that. I, I, I think though that oftentimes why it gets lumped in there, and if you look at the Wikipedia page for Suspiria, it does say. Lump it as that. It's on the list on Wikipedia of Jalo, although other people argue against it. I think a big reason why is just the presence of Argento himself. Right. Because if you think of most of his major films that he's known for, with the exception of Suspirio, they are all Jalo films. The uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Deep Red, uh, Phenomena, mm-hmm. Opera. Well, and then I think the fact that he himself has said I didn't want to make one but I'm sorry my dude if you have your thumbprint <laughs> on the birth of this genre you're not going to be able to escape some of those things and he didn't if it yeah. quacks like a duck right well <laughs> I, that's I mean, a good point maybe uh, maybe he tried to put on a pair of gloves or something but there was like a hole in the glove and part of, yeah, and part what, of his uh, that, fingerprint that, ended up on there yeah. I think I really think you can be on both sides of the fence with this and like I said, I can I can understand both sides. I, I see it from both ways. I guess I don't really have an opinion. I mm-hmm. Sean told me that one of the things you wanted to talk about was is this giallo, is this not? And I was like, Well, I just thought it was. Because I I mean, I'm I'm a little bit new to it. Mm-hmm. I just God, maybe about a year and a half ago kind of discovered this and started diving down the rabbit hole. But anything that I found initially right out the gate when we were doing this is like Argento's Giallo masterpiece, Suspiria. Mm -hmm. Fucking titles like that. So Mm -hmm. you just have this innate thing in your head already. Right. Yeah, I think that uh, I was watching uh, in preparation for the the podcast a a YouTube video, and I'll try to remember to to plug it on uh, our notes. His posit was, it's not as Giallo. Mm-hmm. And I think he used that as kind of bait to get you to watch it. And he does present the reasons why it's not. But ultimately, he says, it doesn't matter. 
And, and that's true. He says it doesn't matter that if it is or if it isn't. What matters is that it's this great standalone it's movie beautiful. that kind of is its own creature, which I think is really cool in and of itself. You've got your giallo influences from uh, from from Argento's other work and his contemporaries, but then at the same time you've got this really interesting, crazy, chaotic mindfuck of a movie that uh, you know stands on its own two legs. I mean, it's it, to me like Argento. First of all, he reminds me of like a skinny version of Nick Cave in his younger days. <laughs> okay, so he looks interesting. But this motherfucker was like a trendsetter. Yeah. He, his first screenplay was a spaghetti Western in the time when those were fucking huge. Right. And then helps create this whole genre. Like, fuck, man. You do what you want to do. Like, you've peaked. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and uh, interestingly, uh, I did see somewhere where Jalo were referred to as uh, spaghetti thrillers. Spaghetti mm-hmm. thrillers. I love it. I love yeah. it. All right. Well, I can see the hands on the clock pointing at uh, the witching hour. It is. <laughs> that was, Ooh, so, that lame. was so fun. That was so lame. Uh, no, this has been fun. I uh, I think that both of these movies are a lot of fun to talk about and, and pick apart. And because uh, they're strange. And uh, hopefully, it's yeah. been worth the wait for the listeners. I know that after <laughs> three reschedulings, we finally did this fucking thing. Woohoo! We finally got yeah. Todd on the show. Woo! And that's uh, hopefully the start of uh, a future trend. Uh, yeah. Because I think that the Giallo movies deserve uh, a deeper discussion. And uh, we've got some other friends who want to get in on the act. So it might end up being a freaking four hour free for all. I want to debate Joey <laughs> about Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, we need to get Joey back on the show. Joey's been hiding out from us for too long. Want to thank the uh, the special guest Todd. Thank you so much for yeah. being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad I finally made it after uh, multiple years. Really, not just the last couple of months, but uh, this was a lot of fun. I definitely want to do it again. So, thanks for having me. Good deal. Uh, do you want to plug anything? Uh, n- I don't have I don't have anything to plug. Any uh, um, any movies that people absolutely must see? Okay, so uh, this is something Sean and I were discussing uh, a while back. Terrifier 2. So uh, this has an, is an evil clown movie. Uh, if you saw Terrifier 1, um, I actually did not like that movie. It doesn't really have much of a narrative. Um, the gore that a lot of people liked, I thought was kind of overrated. But this second one uh, is bonkers um, in the best possible way. Uh, the gore is they clearly had a better budget for this one. Uh, you see someone's skull get uh, ripped in two like a you know like a piece of paper All right. which uh, and and it looks great. They're not using CGI bullshit. It's old school you know Tony Savini uh, type uh, of uh, you know gore. Uh, the there's an actual story here that has like a fantasy element to it, which was kind of bizarre. Um, and you could tell that the filmmakers were having a lot of fun uh, with their bigger budget. So, Despite the I, cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was some bad acting in this. Uh, but particularly uh, there's a there's a young uh, kid, uh, a boy who was not not particularly good. Oh, my God. But, do um, the impression. Just do it. The kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that to be my ringtone. It's terrible. Uh, a, de- a dead on impression there. But yeah, definitely go see Terrifier 2. Uh, one other one. Uh, if you are a fan of the 1978 Dawn of the Dead, they have recently released a 3D version of it in oh, theaters, yeah. uh, and that was wonderful. I had never seen it on the big screen. Is that before. the one in the in the mall? 
yes. Okay. It's set in the uh, set in the mall. Um, what, another probably uh, up there with Suspiria, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. Nice. Uh, and the the remastering of this uh, film is gorgeous. Um, the 3D element was a nice touch, and it was just awesome to see it in a theater, which I never had after countless viewings. So those are the two I would there you go. mention. Speaking of skulls getting torn in half and annoying adolescent actors, do not go see Black Adam. Okay. Chelsea, thank you for being the regulator. Oh, you know. Have you got any plugs? Um, Don't smoke pot and become a deflated friend. Because <laughs> you might get confused with... Yeah. Marcos. Thank you. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it. That's what we're going to do for this week. Uh, next episode coming up is going to be The Insane Slog. <gasps> a Star is Born oh versus A Star is Born versus A Star is Born versus A Star is Born. Mike. I think I'll be sick that day. Yeah. Uh, so be ready in two weeks because that's what's going to happen. But also be kind to Travis about it. Yeah, well, yeah. Because I'll fucking cut anybody. This is, this is Travis's <laughs> idea. Please uh, uh, contact us on social media. Please let us know what you think of the episode. We're at Cinema Chop Shop on everything except for YouTube. We're at Cinema Chop Shop Podcast, where you can watch a audio presentation of this very podcast. Or you can watch my reaction to Psycho. Yeah, look that up. That's yeah. always a lot of fun. And uh, please tell your friends to uh, listen to the show. Uh, like us, love us, rate, review, check us out, and, uh, you know do that sharing thing and uh you know thank you thank you for listening to the show we love you and this is why we do the show it's for fun please remember to watch shop retrofit treat yourself (laughs) trick or treat yourself (laughs) 